Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. And those of you joining us online, good morning to you too. Anyway, we are in the book of Acts this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to chapter 14. We will stand and take only verses 19 and 20, and I'll help you with that. But we will consider verses 8 through 20. So if you have your Bibles open, or if you haven't yet gotten it open, please stand anyway. For the reading of God's Word, Acts chapter 14, verses 19 and 20. The Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day, he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. Please be seated. Be determined. That's the title of this morning's consideration. A determination that is unwilling to fail and willing to suffer in order to achieve its objective. This, uh, this determination of Paul and Barnabas was a rugged determination, willing to take beatings, and in this case, being stoned, and then consider just the humiliation of then being dragged out of the city, because they felt what they had to say was worth it. This kind of determination is born of the Spirit. There are other determinations. There is a sloppy determination that is just stubbornness, that is determined to do what it should not do, even if it knows it is wrong. There is the merely heroic determination, which the world offers, and it is heroic nonetheless, quite noble, but by itself, it's not enough to bring God's blessings. It's not enough to please God. Then there is a satanic determination that is bent on harming others, unprovoked, without justification. And so as we consider being determined, we want to filter out some of the false determinations or less worthy determinations in connection to this drive in the spirit to bring the gospel to people who never heard of Jesus Christ. It is best to go through life, I think, with having something that excites a determination that comes from the Spirit of God. Especially you youth. I mean, what is life like if you really aren't determined to achieve something that pleases God? Joshua when he was going to attack the enemies of God's people, we read in chapter 10 of Joshua that Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly. Now here's the determination. Having marched all night from Gilgal, he was determined to capitalize on this opportunity to strike a heavy hit into the enemy's uh, plans and fortifications, and he succeeded. It is in that chapter that he asked the Lord to help, and the sun did stand still. And then there's Gideon. Gideon was after two kings that were enemies and oppressors of God's people, 
And it says, when Gideon came to the Jordan, he and the 300 men who were with him crossed over. And here comes the determination. Exhausted, but still in pursuit. You stick around Christianity long enough, you really begin to live some of that more often than you would care to. Exhausted, but still in pursuit. Why? Because it's worth it. God is worth it. And we must be careful not to mix carnality into our determination. You know, one of the things about sports and the Christian, the Christian has to watch that they're not getting into the flesh in their ambitions to win. And it is that way in serving, in preaching the gospel. You can get in the flesh very quickly and someone just becomes your objective instead of being led by the Spirit. And then we usually make a mess of things when we take that approach. I have come to the conclusion, and I hope it is the conclusion, that uh, this life is dumb. (laughs) But, this is important. Even though it is dumb, it is not pointless. It is cursed, but God has his purposes in the curse. And I have to learn to face these things in a way that will please him, nonetheless. And that's what we're reading about. It's so stupid to crucify the Christ. What did he do to merit this? He stood up to you? He disagreed with you? He did righteous things? He preached truth? It's so dumb. But from God's perspective, that death was not pointless. And I share that perspective, and so do you who believe. Before us... In this section, there are two determinations that come to the front. One to preach the message of God. One to stop the preaching of of the methods of God. One used reason and messianic prophecy that was fulfilled. Not all of it, but what he preached. This is the Messiah that the scriptures spoke about from long ago. The other use sticks and stones. They will break your bones, but will they break your faith? They didn't with Paul. And it didn't with Barnabas who saw this. And it didn't with Timothy's grandmother and mother who saw this and still let Timothy go with Paul later. Not that they could have stopped him. He was man enough. But they could have protested. And they did not. No record of that. Quite the opposite. So in this determination to serve the Lord... Be ready for the sticks and stones. Have your response already prepared. That I will not fail in my faith because I get hurt. Because so many things in this life are so silly, so foolish, in a violent way. And yet they're not pointless. I can make them pointless. I can become an apostate. Or I can stick to it. Let's now look at verse 8. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. In Lystra, they do speak a different language there. That would be some of the confusion Paul and Barnabas have to deal with. But let's track their, their, their ministry. They leave Antioch in what is modern-day Syria. They travel by sea to Cyprus, and then they travel by sea to Antalya. Then they begin their walk to Perga, Antioch, Pisidia in modern Turkey, Iconium, here in Lystra, 
Then on to Derby after the stoning. That's a 650 mile thereabout trek. And then back. In between each of these places, you hear these places, you know, Cyprus, Antalya, you know, it may mean nothing to you, but they're ministering in each place. And in many of these places, they were establishing churches. And when they established these churches, you would say, that's wonderful. Except that when they made their trek back to Antioch in Syria, there were others from the synagogues that came behind them to undo their work. This still happens in Christianity. Christ will lead you somewhere and Satan will send somebody to undo that. And if you're naive enough, you will be suckered. If you are on your guard, you will detect it. And this... Apostle Paul and Barnabas get back and they tell everybody how the Gentiles received Christ. And then Paul has to write that dreaded letter to the Galatian region. Who has bewitched you? You began in the spirit. Now you're in the flesh. When you heard us speak, when you saw the miracles, you loved us. You would have taken your eyes out for me. But somebody came along. And he whispered in your ear. And they seduced you away from the things that Christ was doing to you. And what did you get in return? What did these people bring to the table that was so glorious? Paul was so irate with what was going on there. He said, they want to preach circumcision? Let them be castrated. That's pretty tough stuff. If I said something like that, You might want to come to me after service and say, well, don't you think that was a little harsh? And I'd be taking off my belt. (laughs) There's a righteous indignation. There is a determination to preach the truth. Look, we have every responsibility to share the gospel when we can, and we have every responsibility to uphold it against lies when we can. And many Christians think they just want to tell the gospel. They don't want to tell somebody, you know what? What you just said is not only not found in the Bible, but the Bible rebukes that. Coming to God so you can be rich with money. I'd rather be rich in the spirit than anything else. Thank you. I have people that agree with that. You would think all Christians would say amen to that. Well, there are many that profess Christ that aren't too quick to say that. Well, apparently, they remained in Lystra for some time, establishing this church that the Galatian letter will be addressed to in that region. And uh, we know that because it would take time for the instigators to travel from Antioch in, in Turkey, some 80 miles, arrive at Iconium. These two places they were chased out of, Paul and Barnabas, gather some more sympathizers, and then... Catch up with them at Lystra. So now we know that when he started the church there in Lystra, they spent time establishing the church. And aren't we glad about that? Because that's what it takes. You can't just preach Christ and everybody becomes Christian and you just walk on and leave them like that. Discipleship is invaluable. There must be discipleship. So... This time allowed for the troublemakers to hear what was going on and to formulate a posse to come hunt down these two believers. They will be responsible for the stoning of Paul.
again, according to Second um, Acts 16, Timothy, he is a resident of Lystra. He's going to witness these things. And it will not chase him from Christ. Remember those Thessalonian Christians? When Paul and Silas arrived in Thessalonica, what did they have on their back? The cane marks from Philippi. And those Thessalonians did not say, well, if following Christ gets you a beating like that, I'll have none. Quite the opposite. They received Christ. And they were very excited about Christ. And the two letters to the Thessalonians says, these are model Christians in a cursed world. In verse 9, this man heard... Did I miss anything? Oh, yeah, I did. A certain man, still in verse 8... A certain man, without strength in his feet, was sitting a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This is a threefold insistence that emphasizes this man was messed up physically. I mean, consider it. Without strength in his feet, sitting a cripple from his mother's womb, had never walked. Why couldn't he just say he'd been crippled all his life? Well, he wants to emphasize. The Holy Spirit wants to say, listen, this man's case is severe. With him, it was, you know, he was not able to walk. With others, it's some, maybe they can't see. Maybe there are the digestive problems. Maybe there is this. Maybe there, you just fill in the blanks. Maybe there's poverty. Maybe there's resentment. Whatever messed up situation we are faced with in this life, Christ is not oblivious to it. He just doesn't jump when we snap. But he expects us to. And being God... Being God the Son, He has every right to have that expectation. And we have every opportunity to trust that He knows what He's doing and that if that's what He wants, it is the best thing to do. We call it walking by faith. In verse 9, this man heard Paul speaking. Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed. So here's Paul preaching. And the Spirit points out to Paul that this man looking up at him, he must have been just sort of glowing. Either way, the, the Holy Spirit has to give Paul this discernment that the man has faith to be healed. I think one of the proofs of that that I would submit is that try it yourself. Go somewhere where there are people who are you know, physically handicapped and look at them and say, oh, I can see you've got the faith to be healed. This is an act of God. And as I mentioned in earlier sessions, Paul had matured enough in Christ to realize that he was no longer a promoter of Jesus Christ. He was an instrument of Jesus Christ. So much more profound. There's so much more than just repeating the message. They'll encounter that in a demon-possessed girl when they get to Philippi. She said, oh, these are the ones that bring us the way of salvation. And Paul got a little irritated with that. He figured it out. You know what? She is... She is poisoning the message. An unauthorized deliverer of the truth. That's what Satan is. Satan will tell the truth sometimes. That's the problem. The rest of the time, he's sure not to. Anyway, in verse 10, Paul said to him, with a loud voice, stand up, straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Well, he says with a loud voice, not because the man is deaf too, but to draw everyone's attention to it. Uh, maybe the man was sitting a little further back, but he wants everybody to know what's happening. And he says, stand up straight on your feet. 
God's been telling me that every morning. What a wonderful imperative to lay on someone if they can do it, right? Stand up straight on your feet. What will be this man who leaps and walks at the healing of Paul, who all of his life, certainly his limbs were atrophied. That was overcome through God. There's no scientific explanation. It is a miracle. A miracle is something that defies explanation according to science, the study of creation. Well, what is this man's reaction going to be when he sees Paul stoned? When he sees Paul harmed for Christ? I think this man is going to double down in his faith because it seems to be a pattern that's established in the ancient church. The church really doesn't get messed up until people start coming in whispering, deceiving the Gnostics with their, ooh, you want deeper knowledge? I'll give you some deeper knowledge, and then I'll get mercy afterwards. <laughs> you know, that's not right. That's why I did it, because I would never think like that. <laughs> Verse 11. Okay, just stop here. Who would not want to shoot the devil dead? I mean, <laughs> to us, that's the quick solution. And God doesn't take that route. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And when we submit to that, we're better off. Because if we don't, we become bitter. Why doesn't God? Uh, not a good question many times. Verse 11, now, when the people saw that Paul, what Paul had done, they raised their voices saying, in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Well, those um, <clears throat> who believe this baseless Religions, gods with no, you know, why do you believe that in these gods, Zeus and Hermes, what evidence do you have? Well, we don't have any. We just have this lore, this story, this folklore. Uh, that's all. One of the lores, not to mess up the words too much, but that Norse god Thor, when he discovered he had power according to their mythology, he rides through the earth. Throwing down lightning bolts wherever he goes. He does this all day, all night, throughout the whole the globe. And he arrives backward from where he started. And he cries out, I am Thor. And his horse turned and looked at him and said, Next time use a saddle, silly. <laughs> Don't be a Thor loser. Okay, if you didn't care for that, that's Pastor Chuck Smith's joke. Not mine, but I, if you laughed harder, I would not have told you whose joke it was. I just claimed it for myself. Anyway, the Jews had only the one true God. And they were unwilling to believe that God would manifest himself in human form. They had precedence for this in the Old Testament. Here are these pagans, and they believe that are... A prerogative of divinity was that if they wanted to show up in human form, they could. Well, Christ, God the Son, came as a human. The, the, the incarnation of Christ. And because there are so many false gods, it does not mean that there can't be one absolutely true God. Nor is there salvation in any other name. For there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. There, there are absolutes and the world doesn't want to hear that. Because that takes away from them human right 
to create gods. Man is created in God's image. Man is not allowed to create gods in his own image. And all the fake gods of the world are just that, uh, created in the image of men. The psalmist said, those who make them are like them, Psalm 115. Well, anyway, uh, there's a legend attached to uh, Lystra that in their mythology, the gods came to visit Lystra. They were not recognized, nor were they treated well. And so they flooded the city and killed the people, except for one couple who did receive them. And therefore, when they supposed that Paul and Barnabas are Hermes and Zeus, they're not going to make that same mistake and not recognize their God. So you see how everything's all convoluted, tangled, twisted up? And it is up to the Christian to try to straighten some of that out if we can have enough of a relationship to have enough of a dialogue. In verse 12... And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Verse 13, then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front <coughs> excuse me, of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. <clears throat> I should point out, to suppress this cough that I get this time of year, I took like 19 Benadryl. So if I fall asleep during the message, just give me a nudge and I should be back at it. Nothing helps. Uh, Anyway, uh, they assigned the wrong God to what they were impressed by. They saw a miracle. They knew this wasn't man. But they assigned the wrong God. And this still happens. Do not people call nature Mother Nature? There's no such thing as Mother Nature. Where'd you get that? We'll beat up on global warming in a second. Um, I'm just getting warmed up. Yeah, yeah, dad jokes in the pulpit. Uh, anyway, um, Hermes, of course, was the Greek deity that was said to deliver the messages of the gods, and Zeus was the, the chief god, and really, who cares? They're, 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 they're fictitious. They don't exist. Verse 14, except in the imagination of men. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in amongst the multitude, crying out. This was a satanic attempt to integrate the Christian faith. You know, just, hey, we're going to applaud you, we're going to uh, worship you, and, you know, this is what we're going to sacrifice to you, this is what we do in our religion, so how about have some of that in your Christian religion too? The people didn't process it that way, Satan did. What would have happened if Paul and Barnabas said nothing? Word got around. When Christ, well, when, when John tried to worship the angel in the revelation, the angel said, stop doing that. And Peter likewise, when Cornelius fell down at Peter's feet, don't do that, I'm a man just like you. When Christ was worshipped, there was no objection. Because he's worthy. Well, these men, they know they're not worthy. Now, it says that the apostles, and we covered this also, there are apostles of the church and there are apostles of Jesus Christ. They can, you can be both. But only 13 men have been the apostles of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ personally assigned them apostolic authority. Matthias is kind of a, you know, a wild card. Uh, the, the apostles appointed Matthias, and Christ did not protest. So it just would have done more damage. Here's an example from Scripture, 2 Corinthians 8, 
Paul writes, if anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about, they are apostles of the churches, the glory of Christ. So there it's translated messengers. But in the Greek, it is this identical Greek word. Apostles, as we would translate it into the English. And so, again, there are apostles. It means to be sent out. And one is sent out with full authority of Christ, as authority of Christ, and gives us our scriptures. Everyone who contributed to the New Testament was either an apostle or under the watchful eyes of the apostles. The apostles could have protested the letter of James if they found it to be uh, out of line with Christ. And so uh, these men are sent out. They're both apostles from the church at Antioch in uh, Syria at the time. Modern day, it's in Turkey also. Anyway, the seriousness of this mob or this crowd's sin is evidenced by the passionate refusal to be worshipped. I mean, you can see the the emotion. Paul and Barnabas is no no way, you know, putting down this this worship. Uh, That's not going to sit well. It will be accepted, but it will provide the framework for the troublemakers from Antioch, Pisidia, and Iconium. When they come, this same crowd is going to be switched. The, the fickleness of people, right? One minute you're trying to worship me, the next minute you're trying to wring my neck. And, and that's what we're going to see that's happening here. Well, we know there are no other powers in the universe that are... Uh, Authorized. There are powers, there is satanic power in the universe, mainly to influence people away from Christ. But the Lord Jesus Christ, God, uh, is, is the only authorized force of the universe, and all others are subject to him anyway. There's no yin-yang. There's no two opposite you know, energies out there competing with each other. Uh, God is sovereign over all of it, and he is using the forces of evil for his purposes. As I mentioned, it's not pointless. In John chapter 6, when everybody left the church, except the 12, it seemed, Christ said, you guys going to? Is that what the fallout's going to go with this? Peter, it says, but Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. There's nobody else. You're it. And we recognize that. And aren't we glad? These uh, situations still exist. We are confronted with them today. Verse 15. And saying, this is the protest now of the apostles, and saying, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you, and preach to you that you should not turn, that you should turn, pardon me, from these useless things to the living God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. False religions, all of them, will lose their appeal. But oftentimes, you have to wait till the the host dies. The person that believes in the false things, before they lose that appeal of their false religions. A false religion can only take you up to death and no further. Not in the positive. The great prophet Samuel said, And do not turn aside... For when you would go after empty things which cannot profit or deliver, for they are nothing. You love these guys. This is, these are the men that God said, I'm going to minister to them. And through them, I'm going to preserve their words. And you listen to them. You take heed. 
It comes from me through them. And it is no less my word by coming through them. And a lot of people want to say that. Well, it's still man's word. And, you know, you, you can say, you know, spiritually, that's moronic. Because you have just dictated the terms of God and truth. And I will not have any of it. Anyway, Paul and Barnabas designating their gods that they're very passionate about as useless things. In contrast to the living God who does speak, who does interact. He cannot benefit from salvation of Jesus Christ by coming to him and respecting other gods at the same time. You have to renounce them all. You have to understand there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. And if you think that there's some auxiliary altar you can go to, you're missing the real altar. Again, that's the letter to the Hebrews. Paul was saying, hey, you've got to stop with this Judaism. It's obsolete. It's fulfilled in Christ. We've moved forward. On the basis of Judaism, we've moved forward. That's not an insult. It's actually an honor. And if you want to stay behind and not take Jesus, then it is an insult to you. And this is what Paul wrestled with his entire ministry. Do you expect God to respect false saviors? Do you think you can be a Christian and also uh, listen and obey and respect Muhammad or Buddha or the Hindu gods and goddesses? You cannot. You've got to make your stand. And I, don't, I find something very honorable about that. Oh, it's okay when they say that, right? But the Christians can't say that. Well, that double standard needs to be rejected too. Exposing error is, again, as much a part of the Christian faith as explaining truth. And when we explain truth, we expose error. And the individual is take it or leave it. You either believe it or you reject it. And once that rejected, they go. When, when they rejected Christ, they say, you know, we're out of here. It was a hard saying. Christ didn't say, no, come back. Give me a second chance. What can I do to change? What will I do to make you happy? He doesn't say anything to them. He lets them go. He looks at his 12. He says, what about you? Man, could you imagine the look on his face? If I were standing in that crowd, I would say, Lord, you want me to go slap some of them? <laughs> Teach them a lesson to show you my loyalty? He said, that's the problem with you, Rick. That's the problem. You're a hot-headed bonehead. Well, it's not me, Lord. It's just, you know, zeal. Anyway, we're quick to make excuses for ourselves. Especially if you want to buy something you know you shouldn't be buying because, you know, it's not in the budget. Don't we come up with, well, you know, I'm only not going to get a deal like this again. We excuse ourselves, and the next thing you know, that... that Credit card bill comes in. We say, well, what was I thinking? <laughs> Anyhow, buyer's remorse. Who made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are in them? Now, I think that's pretty inclusive. Now, he's giving them a, a sermon on Genesis. They don't know it. These are not the same Gentiles that were in the synagogue who would have been familiar with Genesis and creation. They have no knowledge, or very little, if any, of the God of creation. Uh, so he gives them some background, as we discussed in previous sessions. Science without God is religion. You're believing in something, and you can be passionate about it. It's a, it directs your life. It, is, it, it, is that, it dictates to you other decisions. And it's, it's not true, if science without religion. 
Science can be, but not, not the mentality that is going with it. And the godless human, the godless humanists, will bow down to what they discover while excluding the Creator. Listen to Psalm 96, and I tell you about global warming. Um, Psalm 96, Say among the nations, Yahweh reigns. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. He shall judge the peoples righteously. He's saying God controls the earth. It's not going to fall apart. I mean, there will be sections of it that give you a hard time. I mean, who likes a tornado? Uh, except in watching it on YouTube. But God is in control of everything. And he is the one that made the heaven and the earth. And he retains the rights over them. And we are to tell the nations these things. We'll share our testimony. Share our faith when given the opportunity. <clears throat> Verse is there, is there any Christian that does not want a chance to go against Satan? All the evil he gets to do? All that he gets away with? Do, do you not burn with indignation against the filth of hell? Well then, pray to God to give you the ability to rescue people by sharing the faith or at least contributing to their rescue. One plants another waters, God causes the increase. You may be the one that makes entry into the building and someone else comes behind you with the fire hose and puts it out. It's a partnership. Verse 16, Who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Well, God allows the nations to choose their gods. And each time, it has been without proof. Without truth. The elements of truth, but not the truth. When the gospel arrived, it's met with resistance, sustained resistance. Men could at least recognize the graciousness of God. It's common grace. There's a kindness that God gives unbelievers or else society wouldn't make it. But there is a special grace also. And this kind of grace is available to those who hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and respond to it in the positive. Verse 17. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness, and that he did good, and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And there's the common grace that God has given to mankind, and Paul is pointing it out. The psalmist said, you know, the heavens declare your glory. Paul lays this out in Romans chapter 1, when, you know, he's talking about how the true God is neglected, and there's no excuse. He says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. I love that word. It is the beloved Godhead. It is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He continues, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God. And that's the, sec the, the secular humanist who is a scientist and studies creation, spends their life studying creation, has degrees on their wall to boast about how much they study creation, and yet refuses to admit there's a creator. So... That's what Paul is saying here. God has been around. He's, there's been evidences. Let me tell you about this, God. Verse 18. 
And with these things, these sayings, <clears throat> they could hardly, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. And so with these words, this passionate appeal, they just barely stopped the people from worshiping them. The people were dedicated to their false religion as those who are, have the right religion dedicated to their. This, this was the case back with Cain. Cain was dedicated to his religion. Look at the fruit baskets, Lord. And God said, I don't like them. And Cain was insulted, so offended. You're going to find another church. <laughs> we laugh at that, but that's the devil many times, many, many times. Uh, that's what the problem was with the Galatians. You know, having begun in the spirit, who's bewitched you? Who, who whispered in your ear? You were getting fed, you were getting ministered to, and if someone came along and soured you, you would have been better off they never came into your life. But that's how it is. Verse 19. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Look at that. I can stand here and read this in, in recital, but yet the pain this man suffered through this, this experience. It's a solemn moment. He's a man like me. He loves the Lord Jesus Christ. He's trying to share the gospel like you and I. And that's what he gets. These folks, they came solely for the purpose, almost 100 miles, gathering uh, you know, advocates so they could shut down the message. It didn't take any food off their table. It didn't evict them from their homes. What was driving them to kill and destroy? Hatred. Where did that hatred come from? Well, hell was certainly pouring gasoline on it, on the flames. Jesus warned, he said in John 16, they will put you out of the synagogues. We saw that happen, Paul and Silas. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. Well, how do I know where I'm safe? Well, the scripture. And he expounded to them, beginning at Moses and the prophets. He said, this is your safety right here. Listen to what it is saying. Don't let anybody move you off of that. If the, if the Lord says that he hates sin, no man should come along and say, well, he really didn't mean that. That's what it says. Why would I believe you over what, well, the Greek, be careful of those who want to insert Greek and Hebrew, and they don't even speak it, as though they can reverse something. That's not only taught in a single verse, but many verses. And if it is not explicitly said to satisfy them, the fact is clear. And so when you say God loves the sinner, you say, what proof is that? The cross. The cross of Christ. What do you think, he died because he had nothing else to do? It's like, it was a hobby of mine. I go around dying on crosses. It's love. Now here's another interesting thing. Paul is being hounded. Remember, as a Pharisee, he traveled 130 miles to persecute Christians. This man is so remarkable. He never evidences the hatred for these guys, I mean, you push buttons and you're going to get a response, like with the Galatians. He says, you know, yeah, they're coming to you telling you, oh, yeah, you could be a Christian, but you still have to practice Judaism. You have to got the Sabbath and the diets and, and the circumcision. And he says, I got something for you. <laughs> he lays it out in Galatians. 
I, you just love it. But he, he, it wasn't a spirit of self-righteousness. He upheld the truth. And for those who were violently against the truth, if he could not reach them, he would have to salt them to slow down their, their wicked spread. These people saw the miracles and they embraced the apostles. Then the slanderers came and they turned. And this is a signature move of Satan all the way back to Eden. To come and say, what did God say? Well, let me whisper in your ear. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Well, again, they tried worshiping him. That didn't work. And so now they, just, they tried to kill him. And that didn't work either. Jesus died to take away our sin. The apostles were dying to tell people that. And there it is illustrated. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. I'm almost finished. I meant to finish 20 minutes earlier. Three times I was beaten with rods. How many times have you been beaten with rods for Christ? Not for breaking into somebody's car or something like that. I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. There'd be at least two more before his life is over. A night and a day I have been in the deep. Treading water to survive. So you could say, you know what, Paul? It's so senseless that people would beat you for preaching a message of love. But it ain't pointless. Verse 20, however, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day, he departed with Barnabas. <laughs> well, they gathered around him to see if he was dead or alive. <laughs> you could see them with their phones dialing 911. Uh, I mean, they didn't know. And I'm sure they're praying for him. And he gets up. Uh, they, had, they saw the stones hit him. They saw him dragged out the, the, the city. He rose up and went back into the city. He did what? See, that is determination. That is a rugged determination. Back into Lystra, he went with the gospel to the place that was so hateful of him that he got stoned. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. That's, that's how he lived. 1 Corinthians again, chapter 9. For if I preach the gospel... I have nothing to boast, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Now, as we love on Paul, because we have so many of his writings, that doesn't may mean that the other apostles aren't offering up the same determination with the same zeal, because they were. Just Paul was the one chosen to be articulate. David wrote over 70 psalms. That doesn't mean no one else wrote psalms. Moses just wasn't that good at it. <laughs> we only have one song of Moses. Well, in print, we get another one in heaven. Uh, the Psalm of Moses and the, and the Song of the Lamb. Anyway, Second uh, Timothy, Paul writes to him, You have carefully followed my doctrine. I love that. Not the doctrine of just anybody that shows up with something new. Manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering. That's putting up with people. Love and perseverance. Persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, your hometown. What persecutions I endured. 
And out of them all, the Lord delivered me. I'm still trying to let the Lord fight my fights. I am still trying to not let my flesh seek satisfaction of standing up to naysayers and enemies and troublemakers and big mouths, as I would tell the story. I'm sure if they tell the story, they would agree with me. (laughs) To learn to let the Lord deliver you as best you can when it is his turn to do so. And the next day, he departed with Barnabas. So they weren't reckless. They didn't say, well, let's stay here anyway and defy them. They said, well, we've done our work here. We've established a church. There's another city not far away. We want to set up a church there also. And all they went, on they went. They were not casting pearl before swine, nor were they neglecting opportunity. And they go to Derby, which is the extreme limit of the first missionary. They're going to now turn around and head home after Derby. Paul was an irritant to Satan. He would not spook. I have to ask myself, do I spook when Satan shows himself? Do I run away? Or do I stand my ground? In Lystra, Satan sought to integrate the church, take the worship of people, take the adoration. What's wrong with a little other religion acknowledging God working through you? In Lystra also, Satan sought to destroy the church. Couldn't integrate it, so he tried to kill it by killing Saul, Paul. And today, Satan uses professed Christians to integrate and to destroy solid churches. There would be no such thing as ecumenicism if this weren't the case. We have churches that say, we believe in, you know, I don't know what they believe in, they don't know. But, they all, but we also know they include other religions and say, yeah, they're okay too, you get to heaven if you go that way. This is the one we choose. They choose that one. That's not what the Bible preaches. Not at all. Let's pray. Our Father, so much information available to us to be better at serving you. It came with a price that was paid by other believers. In this case, in the forefront is Paul, your servant, willing to endure cold, hunger, fear, hardship, so many things, death, just so he could get the message to people who were without you, and just so that he could uphold Christians, make us stronger. It was very humbling to consider his life, but at least we can say, Lord, well, perhaps where I am, I can be an asset to you and not a liability. And may you help us be just that. If you're here this morning and you've never opened your heart to Christ, and you think about what Christians have gone through to try to get people to open their hearts to Christ, and maybe as you've been listening, you've been sensing God reaching out to you, convicting you, saying, you know, you're guilty before me. I want you to come to me and to be my own. I can't force you. I won't force you. But I can invite you. If you'd like to receive the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you've got to do it. You've got to take the step forward. It has to be a willful decision on your part. Because God will not twist your arm. 
If you say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner, I ask you to forgive me. There's nowhere else to go. There's no one else who died in my place to take my judgment for breaking the law of God. There's no one else, God enough, to rise from the dead to demonstrate that he has the power to forgive me of sin. I ask you to receive me from this day forward to be the Lord of my life and the Savior of my soul, and I give it to you right here, right now. And now, Father, we pray. Anyone who's made this confession, they don't back down from it. In Jesus' name, amen.